From the studios of Bruce Street Mafia, this is a Red Dog Fred production. Welcome back to the Logical Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Lodge. Today, I'm going to do something a little different. I have a very special guest uh, with me today, uh, my good friend, Kevin Brewer. Welcome, Kevin. Thank you. Yeah, so we're we're doing things a little different today. Uh, Kevin actually reached out to me and uh, wanted to talk about a pivotal moment in American history that we are coming on the eve of. And to give a little background, you're a history teacher at at Big Sandy High School, Sandy and I also School. teach a couple of classes at Camden High School as of this year. Okay, okay, and but history is just inescapable for you. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Always was. Live, live and breathe it. Always. And every, everyone who knows me knows this. <laughs> yeah. Li- yeah. Live and breathe the history. Yes. So what's different about this podcast, and I was kind of telling you this different, uh, earlier, is um, this is the first podcast I've ever actually prepared for. <laughs> because most of the time I'm talking about bugs or mushrooms or something or politics or something like that, right? And I, I want it to be fresh. I want it to be new. I, I, I don't want to have presuppositions. I don't want to think about maybe what you're going to be saying. I want to create an environment that we can talk about whatever it is that we're talking about, right? Sure. And you ask me to talk about the assassination of Abraham Lincoln. Right. We wanted something historical, and that's very timely. We're coming up on it. And we're coming up on it. Uh, yeah, on the, 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 the 14th is the uh, 158th the actu- a- anniversary. The of actual the date of it. Yes. But what makes this fun is tomorrow, Good, good Friday, this was their Easter weekend. Yes, the assassination was on Easter weekend. Assassination, the assassination was on Friday the fourteenth. Good Friday. On Good Friday, right? Which that in itself raised some hackles for some people who thought that the president shouldn't have been in a theater uh, on Good Friday. Oh, anyway, because uh, right. many people had a low opinion uh, of theater. So, so let's back it up. So, him him going to the theater. So. Um, Correct me if I'm wrong. So it was um, Ulysses and Julia got them the tickets, right? Are, are, no. Okay. Uh, the uh, Mary Mary Lincoln sent for the tickets. Uh, okay. The, Grant didn't go. He didn't go, but he was supposed <clears throat> to go. Grant was invited. Oh, right. Okay. Uh, okay. Yeah. Grant. Was, for some reason, I thought Grant invited Lincoln. So I'm getting this backwards. Okay. No, Lincoln invited Grant, and initially they were going to go, but. Mrs. Grant, Julia Grant, Julia Grant, had learned to despise Mary Lincoln because Mary Lincoln had recently thrown a terribly embarrassing fit uh, on a road trip with the president and had scandalized everyone. What did she do? And, uh, she became jealous of uh, General Ord's wife. Uh, they were out riding somewhere on a, on a fact-finding mission, um, and Mary was riding in a carriage and uh, Mrs. Ord was riding on a horse, and she rode up alongside the president. And Mary Lincoln, who was prone to uh, absolute fits of jealousy, uh, thought that this woman was trying to pass herself off as the first lady and really had an embarrassing fit. And Julia Grant was horrified by this. Oh, my goodness. And um, so she said she didn't didn't want to go to the theater. And they they went to—anyway, they wanted to go to New Jersey to visit their children, and that's what they did. And so he ended up going with. Uh, he, they ended up going with uh, uh, Major Rathbone, and Major Rathbone's stepsister, who was also his fiance, 
uh, Clara Harris, who were well down on the list of people that they considered taking with them, and those were their guests. And it's probably a little early to get into it, but those people had a horrifying end. Yeah. They, so, they, so what makes this so? What makes the assassination of Abraham Lincoln so fascinating? Why? I mean, let's just talk about American history and how we view it. I mean, we've written how many books? How? how I mean, how, what? What? What are some facts about Lincoln and how we study it as American as as American people? How we study him? You can run across all the time. You can run across. Um, about Lincoln, the factoid, whether it's true or not, you will always run across it, that after Shakespeare, he is perhaps the most biographized human being in okay. history. Okay, uh, and then he may have surpassed Shakespeare by now, who knows? Possibly, possibly <laughs> right, so. Right. Uh, so much so that, that historians, including eminent historians um, uh, like uh, Oates, uh, have gotten into plagiarism trouble uh, over the years, when they clearly were not plagiarizing anyone, but everyone's telling the same story. So many different <clears throat> so times. So many different times. You can only say it so many different ways that, with so many different words. Well, that's, and, that's exactly what happened right. to Stephen Oates. Yeah. He, he, was, um, he was attacked um, in the, I think in the 70s or maybe in the 80s over uh, a very well-received biography. And people said he had plagiarized. And they used a computer to determine this. And it was just lining up words. And he said, you know, look, there are only so many ways to tell these stories, especially these very early stories right. of his life where the evidence is kind of sketchy already. Yeah. And yeah. you can only say it so many. He, he referred to it as intertextuality and said you cannot determine always plagiarism just from intertextuality. Intertextuality. Yeah, that's I'm, what he called it. I like this. I'm gonna, that's my new word tonight. I'm going okay. to Google this. <laughs> intertextuality. <laughs> yes, I like that. So what makes this so fascinating? Why? Why is this relevant today? I think uh, because there's a, I think there's a sense of thwarted history here that he would be assassinated. I mean, right at uh, near the end of the war. I mean, the, the war people thought of the war as over. It wasn't over yet, but that's how they thought. But Lee of it. had surrendered. Right. Richmond fell on April the third. Lee surrendered on the ninth. Uh, Word of Lee's surrender reached Washington on the 10th, and Washington erupted into celebration. And this right. is what pushed Booth over the edge, seemingly. He, right, um, right. And uh, there were, in Washington, what were called, there were illuminations, or it was called the Illumination, where everyone had candles in their windows. And I always tell my students, it's difficult for us to realize that these people were not spoiled by bright lights and imagery the way we are so if, if you if you tell these kids that you know people painted a slogan or a picture on a sheet and hung it on their porch and put a lamp behind it that sounds so blasé but it, that was that very was exciting a it, big it was deal. exciting yeah everything was lit up in celebration and that that helped push booth over the edge so there's the sense that he was taken out um sort of at the moment of his glory but then there's the real historiographical concern that so many things went wrong after he was gone. Uh, Reconstruction went, uh, you know, had, was so rough, and you always right. find yourself asking the question, "What would have happened?" Right. Uh, John, had, Johnson had and, and Grant had very different perspectives on Reconstruction, obviously, and very different methodologies for Grant. Grant did actually a very admirable job, of with, course, with, with Reconstruction. Yeah. 
And he didn't, very few, a lot of people don't realize, very few presidents ever did more for African-Americans than Well, there were more more, uh, federally appointed African-Americans under Grant's administration until, I believe it was 92, something like that. That's probably right. Grant also, of course, sent the army after the Klan. Right, right. Um, Yeah, he was, he uh, would put people in positions and, and that, they were, yeah. Right, but Johnson Johnson was an, uh, an atrocious president. Right. Uh, and never should have been vice president. That was a big mistake, and you can't really pin that on Lincoln because in those days the party made those kinds of decisions. But yeah. I think the other thing, that, to get back to the question, there's so much almost like mysticism, uh, you know, surrounding Lincoln's death, and I don't think other presidents and other presidential happenings don't have that, now, what do you what that, do you mean that, by mysticism? That kind of baggage. I think there was something about it being deep in the Victorian era. Uh, it was in that same era when there was um, a lot of people were interested in in the occult. Sure, and there was theosophy. Yeah, all, these all, things. all of that right. stuff. Um, so all of these sort of ghostly tales that um, several historians talk about. That someone said that. At, at the very moment that Mary Lincoln screamed, uh, a cloud moved off the moon, and the moon turned red. You know, <laughs> that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, In yeah. fact, there's a there's a, a Steers has a a, bo- a book about the assassination called Blood on the Moon. Um, that, that's a, an important um, part assa- of that. A, an, an important so, so, the, so they're incorporating their 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 you know it's, the it's, zeitgeist, it's right? Yeah, the zeitgeist yeah, this, of the contemporary culture. They're kind of incorporating that into their interpretation of this event because they don't really know how to interpret it any other way. Right, I think so. There was the people who said that um, that on April the fourteenth, that for years on April the fourteenth, uh, if you were in the right place at the right time, uh, Lincoln's blood drops would grow would glow red on the street uh, where they crossed the street. Well, yeah. you know, I mean, well, and who's the only president that haunts the White House? Oh, D- D- Churchill. Winston Churchill claimed that he saw Lincoln's ghost. Yeah, right. Uh, supposedly, right. Um, I haven't, I haven't run that down in a serious history book. Right. Uh, but that's a story that has floated around for years. But I mean, that, it's also a story that's. I mean, it's also, I mean, been legend that for by many of people that you know Lincoln haunts the. Yeah, sure. Yeah. That there were people who said that uh, if you were there that for years, if you were there on April the fourteenth, um, if you were willing to see it that the front walls of uh, Ford's theater would uh, become transparent. So why, so, so, so we have these, and these, you see it again. So we have these mystical, right. Attachments, which is very, very interesting to me that we have, we have this. And then we have basically, which a lot of people didn't understand or don't understand, or maybe they do. I didn't essentially Tom Hanks killing the president. I mean, essentially we have like, Dwayne the Rock Johnson shoots the president. Someone, it's funny you said that about, about, it's funny you said this because a friend of mine said to me one time, um, said, isn't this very much like Tom Cruise? Sure. The one he, he said, it, it's, it's as, as though Tom Cruise assassinated the president. Yes. That is exactly right. Um, and Booth, Booth, of course, is at the heart of this. There are so many other people who There was are, a conspiracy. It, Guys, by the way, conspiracies exist. I just want to let everyone know conspiracies are real. 
They are real. People conspire together yes. to do bad things. And, and the results of this particular conspiracy was the assassination of our 16th president. So and, and, and nearly the assassination of, of the Seward, of of Seward <laughs> and much of Seward's family right, uh, right. And, and other people. I mean, uh, uh, and Johnson, he left a note. He left a note for Johnson. He left, he left a note that was supposedly for Johnson. There is some speculation it may have been for Johnson's secretary. Okay. And it may have been an attempt to find out information about Johnson. Gotcha. But the, the Mary Lincoln and other and many historians consider the note to have been for Johnson. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, this, was, this is not a speculative conspiracy. This is a known conspiracy. Right. Four, four people were hanged right. for this conspiracy. And probably more should have been. Maybe so. Uh, four other people were sent off uh, t- to prison. They didn't stay that long, but one no. of them, one of them died there. Yeah, and, Mud was and, pardoned and by. Home. Yeah, Mud Mud was pardoned um, uh, by Johnson. Uh, by, by Johnson, Arnold was pardoned. Uh, Spangler was pardoned. O'Loughlin died in prison. So let's but, talk about these players because this is an interesting thing. We're, we're rattling off a lot of names, and it's kind of boring if you if you really don't know these names. But let's just talk about what happened. So we have. Uh, basically Tom Cruise, let's say, <laughs> and he and he's got his older brother who is um, the most famous actor of the of the 19th century, correct? And uh, later on, his father was the most revered actor. But he was already long dead by the time this happened. His father was absolutely legendary, right? And and totally insane. Yes. Um, well, and, I mean, I mean. JWB was wasn't really all put together either. I mean, he 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 really. I mean, in a way, and I've heard historians say this. You know, he idolized the character of Brutus, right? Like this was his he, one of his. He, he, he came to during during the war. Booth Booth was many things. Uh, Booth was uh, a dutiful son. He he. Um, idolized his father who was dead right he took very good care of his mother was very he loved his mother very much he was a good brother made a promise to her that she he wouldn't get in the war that that's true yeah he was a good brother especially to his sister asia his um his relationship with his brothers was strained by the war but they were still brothers uh, but he was very close to asia his sister he was a pretty good friend um uh, booth was a it's a good Victorian era term. Booth was a, a blithe spirit. Uh, he was someone that, uh, if he showed up, things were going to be more fun. Yes, everyone was glad to see him coming. He was, he was charming. He was witty. He made things more exciting. No one ever said, "Oh no, here comes John Booth." Right. Um, but he was also fiery, and tempestuous and melodramatic which was part of his acting he took his acting very very seriously he wasn't the best at it but he he loved the roles of 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 the the hero he he loved he loved dueling and he loved the dash he did in fact he was often injured right right uh, doing plays and uh, he, he he loved the dash of the whole thing and when when the war came uh the war then drew out those sort of middling qualities, and then it helped create or it helped foster his worst qualities, which were that he was a 
Booth was a, a classist. Um, he had very, very strong feelings about social stratification. Yeah, I believe uh, and, his I believe his words were on on slavery that we did them justice by bringing them Christianity. Right, right, which is the 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 next step. But I mean, this is even toward like like uh, white uh, right. laborers. Right, correct. Um, his father, his father would have been horrified by these views because his father was a, a uh, an egalitarian. Mm. Um, who would uh, he was, another great nineteenth century? Yeah, time. <laughs> his father was known to uh, to be seen sitting in the kitchen with the workers eating lunch, and right. talking about everyday things. And uh, John didn't like this. He, as he grew older, and especially after his father died, he he began to see himself as apart from these people. And the other problem is that Booth was an ardent white supremacist, right? Uh, I mean, he 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 was he he took the position, he took the kinds of positions that you're describing, which right. was that this is a good thing for them, it's a good thing for us, right? Um, and he he felt that very very strongly, and even in the post assassination period, uh, he stuck with that. He, he, he stuck narrative. with it, uh, yeah, he, uh, because uh, he did what was right. There, there were there were yeah, and and there were actually a couple of instances while he was on the run where he encountered African-Americans and took this attitude toward them even then. Yeah. Um, and even so, while he was on the lam and could probably yeah, use all the help he, he could get. He was on the lam yeah. and needed all the help that he could get. Yeah. He, was, he was very demanding in one case and drove an African-American family out of their home and took control of their home because he was determined to be inside. Oh, wow. And be in, on the, you know, by the fire and so forth. Oh, wow. Um, but th- that's the problem is that the – and Booth is a, a strong – an obsessed Southern partisan. Um, he comes from Maryland, which was a border state. For people who don't know, Maryland was a slave state that did not secede from the Union. Many, many people in Maryland wanted to secede from the Union, but doing that was going to create havoc in Maryland. Washington, D.C. was established as a square, a perfect square. Right. 100 square miles, originally. John Jay. Um <laughs> And the about two thirds of it, maybe three fourths of it, were carved out of of Maryland. The other fourth or third was carved out of Virginia. Sometime before the war, twenty thirty years before the war, Congress decided they didn't want the Virginia part and gave it back. So what you're left with by the eighteen sixties in Washington D.C. is a partial square, three sides of it surrounded by, by Maryland, then the Potomac River, and on the other side of the Potomac was Virginia. If Maryland secedes, Washington, D.C. will have to be surrendered. So uh, Lincoln, uh, if there was one thing Lincoln put his foot down on, it was that Maryland was not going to secede. He threw members of the Maryland legislature who threatened to secede. He threw them in jail. Uh, he could not afford to have Maryland secede. Lincoln could, and I always tell my students this, Lincoln with a uh, you know a telescope could stand up on one of the second – floor windows of the White House and look out the window through a telescope and see the uh, Confederate flag flying in Arlington. Right. Probably up there about where the Custis Lee Mansion is. Right. Um, And he could see it flying on the other side of the river. So this was an immediate threat to the national capital. So he jailed Maryland legislators. Yes. To keep them from 
seceding. Yeah, yeah, well, he suspended the writ of habeas corpus and locked up anybody he wanted to lock up. These are the kinds of reasons that Booth gave before and after in his diary. Uh, He had a diary that he maintained to some degree uh, while he was on the run, and he was constantly referring to that he had killed a worse tyrant. Right. A worse tyrant than William Tell had killed, a worse tyrant than Brutus had killed. Right. And that's that comes directly from the diary. So Booth comes out of that Maryland mix, a slave state that did not secede from the Union. And they and, lost and, that right because he jailed his voice. Right. I think it was just a. Long, I mean, but that's his his mentality. Yeah. I'm not. Yeah. I'm not a JWB sympathizer no, 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 no. here. I'm just trying to get in his mind and understand it. I, there were lots and lots of people in Maryland who felt that way. Today, a lot of people, it escapes a lot of people today that Washington, D.C. is a very southern city. Right. Uh, it's harder to think of it that way now. Right. But uh, Virginia was sort of the kingpin of southern states. Absolutely, yeah. And Maryland was a slave state. Uh, in fact, Washington, D.C. was put where it was put as a sop to the south. Uh, it was a trade-off. Washington and Hamilton, or uh, Jefferson and Hamilton worked this out during the Washington administration. Uh, it was a, a bargain, uh, the compromise of 1791, I think, or two, uh, because they they wanted to, um, the federal government wanted to take over the Revolutionary War debts of the states to build its credibility. Right. And uh, Virginia didn't want that because Virginia had paid off most of its debts <laughs> uh, already, so they didn't want it. It's kind of like the student loan uh, right, thing today. Right, right. Um and uh, to make that deal happen, uh, the, the Northerners agreed to put the national capital in the South, which was Washington, D.C. And so at this time, in this time frame of, of, of Lincoln's time, so we're talking Richmond is less than, what, 100 miles away? It's about 100 miles. About 100 miles. So. Seems like 1,000 today if you drive it because of the traffic. Right, it's, right, yeah. right. Well, I bet it seemed like 1,000 back then it on horseback. Did. It yeah. probably did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, uh, you 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 had you had Booth, and then you had and of course you have to realize and you probably know this this originated as a kidnapping. This is the conspiracy. best part of of the Abraham Lincoln assassination because yes. it is it is a comical whimsical fairy tale of the kidnapping plot of Abraham Lincoln. Right, part of it it, it became comical later, and Booth made it comical, even more comical when, when he started talking about kidnapping Lincoln. In a theater, right, and lowering him and, to the stage, right, and wrapped up, and yeah, that's that is when Sam Arnold, for instance, and Michael O'Loughlin said, "This is madness." Yeah, we're not, we're not yeah. in this, but they were part of the original kidnapping plot. The original kidnapping plot was realistic, and the original kidnapping plot was Lincoln often rides alone. Or rides almost completely alone. Okay, yeah. Let's stop. Let's pause, and we're gonna we're gonna revisit that because I I just don't think people that are watching this understand exactly what you just said. This is the equivalent of like uh, m- me me going to McDonald's in D.C. and seeing like Biden roll up on a like a Harley. Yes. Yes. Like just like un- there's nobody with him, and he's just like, yeah, I'm gonna get some ice cream or whatever he does, right? Like, yes. I well, mean that one one night in 1862, I think, uh, someone took a shot at Lincoln and shot his hat off, um, and he was riding completely alone. There was no one with him. 
Right. And he was riding from the White House <clears throat> back to the soldier's home. He had a cottage. They had a cottage that was up on a hill where it was cooler, and they spent summers there usually. And he would ride to the White House and work and then ride back home to the soldier's home at night completely alone. Someone shot at him, blew his hat off of his head. He got off the horse, picked up his hat, and it had a bullet hole through it. And he simply he stopped to get his hat. He simply told people not to tell his wife that he said it was uh, probably an accident. Probably someone. Oh yeah, was yeah, yeah, yeah. Someone was hunting. Um, and yeah, just so happened as she. And was. so yeah, he he typically he had typically he had no guards. Late in the war, sometimes when he went on carriage rides and that kind of thing, uh, there was a detachment of soldiers that were sent along. The Secretary of War Stanton was obsessed with Lincoln's safety. Uh, Stanton uh, was in charge of his safety. Uh, well, sort of, yeah. I mean, kind of, I, I mean if, he, he, if his safety was a military matter, then, yes, yeah, Stanton was in charge of it. Okay. Uh, Stanton was the Secretary so, of War. So let's bring us back to April 14th. So on April 14th, who is protecting the president? No one. Um, but there, Stanton. There was a there there was a Washington police officer named Parker who was um, uh, assigned the duty of uh, getting the president safely into the theater. I don't really think that he had any ongoing duties. This is one of the mysteries of the assassination because Parker and what happened to Parker and where Parker was has never really been completely understood, this is a I, even after all these years. theory. I, I think the, the assumption is that there's no real threat here. And Parker's probably off drinking somewhere. There were yeah, he bars. Was a drunk. There were bars on both sides of Ford's Theater. Now, didn't Lincoln specifically ask that Parker not be on detail because of his alcoholism? Have you ever heard this? Oh, I don't. I don't think I've heard that. But, okay. Uh, maybe, but anyway, Parker was just a cop. He wasn't a. Okay. He he he, he wasn't a military guy. Now there was a there was a a White House messenger named Charles Forbes who sometimes gets blamed for letting letting Booth into the box. Right. Forbes was not a guard. Right. He was a messenger. And again, letting Booth into the box is the equivalent of like Dwayne the Rock Johnson That's saying, exactly "Hey, I want right. to go holler at my boy J- that, Joey that B." That's exactly yeah. right. And one of the biggest one of the biggest mysteries of the assassination, it's a small mystery, but it's a big mystery. One of the biggest mysteries is the exchange that took place between um between this guard, between this messenger, he was not a guard, and Booth, uh, because somehow that was never brought out at trial. We know that Booth um, approached him, pulled a card out of a card container, Mm -hmm. showed him a card or a note or something, and then went into the box. Right. It was known that Lincoln at various times had expressed interest in, um, in, in meeting Booth, uh, that you know, thought that, that he had seen Booth act. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I read about that. Yeah, they he invited him, or, or an invitation was yeah. sent, or something. Yeah, I think it was along, just kind of a general thing. Yeah, a general that, sure, thing, I would yeah. love, I'd love to meet yeah. him. So Lincoln saw Booth act in the Marble Heart. That's right. That's uh, a right. few a few months before the assassination, uh, it, it would not have been a challenge for Booth to get through any door in Washington, right? Um, including the the door that he got in there. Right. Uh, but there was really no one. No one was guarding. The president. Uh, the military sometimes saw him from place to place. There would have been no one guarding him inside a facility. Right. That was that was practically unknown. Yeah. Uh, Stanton didn't like it. Stanton didn't want him to go. But of course, 
booth was surrounded by this Entour- web entourage of yeah this, this web of uh, miscreants and uh, yeah ne'er so they, ne'er do wells they they the the conspirators they hatched this plan to kidnap the secretary of war the <clears throat> vice president and the president well, well they were going to kidnap the president okay the 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 the, the we talked about the, the crazy plan comes later. The original plan was stop him on the road to the soldier's home. Kidnap him. Kidnap him. And we're going to get prisoner exchanges. Spirit him away right. to Richmond. Right. Where he would be presumably the, someone said, the guest of the Confederate government. Right. Where he would be, he would be well treated. They would right. treat him with kid gloves. Right. Uh, but he would be their guest until an exchange was made, and the exchange was going to be the freeing of the thousands and thousands of Confederate prisoners as a ransom for the commander-in-chief. Right. That was probably a, not a completely unrealistic plan. We know that Booth traveled into uh, in, into Southern Maryland <clears throat> to create um, sort of a travel network that, that he could hopefully depend on uh, for the purposes of spiriting the president down to Richmond. He did put some work into that. And so that's where Mudd, Dr. Mudd, gets involved. Booth, Booth and Mudd knew one another. They had known one another for months. Booth, some, you know, people will try to get Dr. Mudd off, off the hook. There is no evidence that Dr. Mudd was involved at all in the assassination. Correct. Or that he knew that there was an assassination Correct. plot. But there is no doubt that Dr. Mudd and John Wilkes Booth knew one another. Booth had encountered Dr. Mudd, uh, met him through another doctor named uh, Queen. Um, when he went on a, a fact-finding mission to buy horses, he said, and to buy land, what he was apparently really doing was scouting out the possibility that he could carry out this kidnapping plot. We don't know how much Mudd knew about the kidnapping plot or if he knew anything, but there's no question that he knew Booth. He had seen Booth in November at his own home and at, uh, and at church. He had seen Booth in Washington uh, at Christmas time in 1864 when he was there Christmas shopping. He met with Booth uh, in a hotel room. Right. So there's no doubt that the two knew each other. But yeah, you, you, had, you had Dr. Mudd, who's on the periphery of this, but in, in the inner part of the web, you had... Booth, a young man who's sometimes described as an idiot, although right. I don't think that's right. Yeah, I don't think that's accurate. Yeah, uh, and that terminology David, used it carried different weight right. then than it does now. Uh, there, Correct. The, the, there was there's not much evidence that he was an idiot. He was just a young naive, right, young man. Uh, David Harold, um, you had uh, George Atzerodt, the drunken, uh, drunken, dirty, sort of low life German carriage painter had only been there a couple decades or something uh, like that. yeah he yeah. was uh, he was an, a, a german immigrant right um you had john surratt who's the person who really skates on this thing yeah. and gets no punishment whatsoever right uh, gets gets completely off the hook and lives until 1916 which is insane uh, yeah, yeah john surratt, age yeah um who, who was definitely a big part of the kidnapping plot and who was deeply involved with the confederate uh secret service up in Montreal. The Confederates were using Montreal as their northern headquarters for all of their money laundering and, and, right. and what have you. Uh, laundering's probably, but, but for the exchange of money and the smuggling and so right. forth that was going on. 
Um, and then you had uh, Lewis. They're also counterfeiting. Uh, right. <laughs> you had Lewis Powell, who was this uh, huge, impressive, one of the most fascinating people in the entire drama. Lewis Powell, who also went by Lewis Payne, who had been one of Mosby's rangers uh, in the Confederate Army. He was sort of a guerrilla fighter. He, he gets into the mix, and he's the one who ends up uh, doing all of this violence at, at the Seward House. Um, what happened to the ki- the kidnapping plot unwound as the war ended? There was no need and, to kidnap Lincoln. Yeah, there's there's no more need to kidnap him. And you, you had then you had the the outer ring of the web, which was Sam Arnold and Michael O'Loughlin, old friends of Booth's, mm-hmm. um, Doctor Mudd, who's definitely a peripheral mm-hmm. character, and John Surratt's mother. Mary Surratt, Mary Surratt, who who gets who, the hammer, <laughs> who, who who probably was on the outer ring of the conspiracy, but finds herself in the dead on, on the on the in the dead, dead almost in the dead center, dead center of, of the conspiracy. Yeah. Mary Surratt had um, she and her husband, uh, who had died a few years earlier, owned a uh, in a little uh, tavern out in the country. Um, in, in Maryland <clears throat> that was a stopover for travelers. It was like you could get a little food there. You could get something to drink there. Uh, you, might, you might get a bed there. And it was also a sort of a contact point for Confederate smugglers. Uh, it was a Confederate mail point uh, so that they could smuggle mail and get messages back and forth. They were running a kind of a halfway house for the Confederacy right. there. She had lived there. But she had uh, fallen on hard times financially and could no longer afford to live there after her husband died. They owned another property in Washington, D.C. on 10th Street, a little townhouse. So she leased out the the tavern to a guy named John Lloyd, and she and her family moved to the townhouse. And then she leased out rooms, rented rooms, as kind of a bed and breakfast type thing there in Washington. And... These, her, her son is involved in these underground Confederate activities. That draws the attention of Booth. Booth starts hanging out at Surratt, Mrs. Surratt's house. Um, and that's how she, she gets tangled up badly in the assassination on the day of when she runs an errand for Booth that puts her square in the middle of the conspiracy. Right. Um, Booth on the day of the assassination was at Mary Surratt's home, gave her a package. She was going to the tavern that day to give this package to John Lloyd, your lodger there, and, and also apparently give him this message. Right. And the message is what hanged her, and the message was, People will be coming late tonight, have the guns ready, right. and give them some whiskey. <laughs> and she passed that message on to John Lloyd. So now uh, she was involved. And she was she was involved. I, I'm, I don't think she met a fair end personally uh, for her involvement, but her son definitely probably should have met the similar oh, fate. Yeah, he uh, – and he yeah. – th- there's some speculation, of course, that Mrs. Surratt – you know, there, there were a lot of people, most people, didn't really believe Mrs. Surratt would hang. 
Right. Um, and the assumption was that they were trying to use the hanging of Mrs. Surratt to draw out John Surratt. John decided to lay low and let his mother hang. He, <laughs> he didn't. He he didn't come forward. Mom, I never do that to yeah, you. Mom, was, yeah. I promise. If you're watching, I no, would no, never. No. I would come forward, Mom. I promise. John John was hiding out in. Uh, John was hiding out initially in uh, in upstate New York, and then in Canada. Yeah. When when the whole thing. Uh, went down and he, he did not come forward so so we have this like turning point right so so booth wakes up on the, on, on the morning of april 14th and he's a little hungover he's been out doing his thing this is what he did right he was he was a fun yes. guy he was a good he was a great guy to be around right but he was deeply depressed by the yeah he, he had been out drinking right but he was very depressed by not just by the end of the war the the, the winding down of the right. war but by all of the celebrations yeah going on around him and there yes. was something else going on and for this you got to go back to the 11th the celebrations began on the 10th when the celebrations erupted on the 10th with the news of the surrender of the Army of Northern Virginia at Appomattox, um, people flocked to the White House. Lincoln came out, said a few words, cracked some jokes, um, had the band play Dixie, uh, <laughs> and, and said that it was, you know, that he thought it was a great song and so forth. <laughs> and he said, I don't have prepared, I don't have a prepared statement. Tomorrow night, I'll have a prepared statement. And he went back in. That was on the 10th. On the 11th, Lincoln came to a window of the White House. They raised the window, and he made a, a prepared, short, prepared speech. Booth was there. Booth was there. <clears throat> David Harold was there. This comes from the testimony of David Harold. Someone in the crowd raised the question of African-American voting rights. Yes, this is the tipping point. This is assumed to have been a tipping point. Someone raised the question of that. Lincoln said... Not women, by the way. Just the men. Right, yes, just the the men. Lincoln specifically said that uh, he saw no reason why uh, educated African-Americans should not now be allowed to vote, and that he believed that African-American men who had served in the military, which was more than 100,000 by right. this time after, after the Emancipation Proclamation, uh, why they should not be allowed to vote. It was almost sort of a, like a thought bubble. Yeah, it yeah was he was just, exploring it, it was, an idea. Extempor- yeah. extemporaneous, yeah, yeah. Uh, exploring the idea in his head. Yeah. According to David Harold, uh, Booth turned and discussed and said he's talking about black citizenship. That's not what Booth said, but you can fill in the blanks. He's talking about black citizenship, and he said in a good theatrical term, now by God I'll put him through. Right. Um, And and, and he did. Yeah. Uh, This was not a bluff. Yeah. That's that's what he, now now by God I'll put him through. So so he set the plan into motion. And he said that, that is the last speech that he will ever make. Right. This is the reason that the Lincoln's biographer Stephen Oates uh, said, um, has asserted that uh, Lincoln, at least to some degree, died a martyr to black voting rights. Of course, yes. 
Uh, yes, and I've, because, I've heard this. I've heard this from because, multiple other historians. Of this this yeah. moment. So I think probably as of the eleventh, Booth had clearly decided to kill Lincoln. Um, the opportunity, though, was not in place, and he didn't know when he would have the opportunity. It was the opportunity that fell into his lap on the 14th. On the morning of the 14th. On the morning of the 14th. he heard. Booth Booth went to Ford's Theater that morning, late morning, to pick up his mail. Which I think is bizarre, first of all, that Ford's Theater was was having Booth's mail forwarded to him. Because obviously it makes sense, but still, it's just kind of a bizarre thing. Well, theater folk, uh, the the more I read about this... um, there's a historian named uh, uh, Gene Smith who wrote a wonderful book about the Booths, the Booth family, mm-hmm. and the uh, theater culture mm-hmm. uh, revolving around this. The theater folk were close, right? And uh, so Ford, as a uh, as a courtesy to a- the acting community, allowed them to have their mail forwarded to the theater because they were often on the road. Right, right, right. And so he so goes to get his mail. He he goes to get his mail. He encounters John Ford and another guy. They are there. Uh, they were sort of picking at Booth about the war, about the the outcome of the war because Booth, a hard time. Booth was known to be so yeah. uh, tender about this. Yeah. And um, they said, "We Good Friday is usually a terrible night for the theater, but we're going to have a good night because we've just learned that the president is coming." And General Grant is coming. At that point, they still thought Grant was coming. Right. Um, Booth apparently didn't uh, overtly react. He sat down and read his mail, but uh, it's it's perfectly clear that he spent the, he spent the entire rest of the day preparing in preparation for this. He got his horses ready, or he, his horse ready. He, he got the horses together, or he got got the horses ready. Um, he had. Um, uh, Atzerodt was instrumental in that, and he had, in fact, used um, uh, uh, Atzerodt. In fact, he, he met with that day, he met with the conspirators. It was actually that night, even. Um, and uh, when Atzerodt sort of balked on the whole idea of killing Andrew Johnson, the vice president, which was Atzerodt's assignment, and Atzerodt sort of balked on it, and uh, Booth apparently... Uh, <clears throat> According to and he uh, needed a little little liquid courage to try uh, yeah, to yeah try he to, did Atzerodt was real drunk to uh, try to get this Booth, plan in motion Booth, Booth sort of leveraged all of the work that he had done with the horses he said well I'll still need you know the horses yeah to remind Atzerodt of how deep he was in this right uh, because um, uh, Kaufman's book American Brutus the the whole thesis of that book is that Booth trapped everyone in the conspiracy. Uh, he got them wrapped up in it in ways that they could not get out yeah. so that they were implicated. Um, he he met with them. He, he, he gave them their assignments. Booth had also, and I find this fascinating, he wrote a manifesto. We always hear a lot about manifestos. Right. We've heard some of this recently. He wrote a manifesto. He sealed it in an envelope. He was walking down the street, and he encountered a friend of his, uh, a guy named John Matthews. And, again, Booth, the hail fellow well met, you know, right. and everybody's glad to see Booth. Uh, can I buy you a drink and so forth and all of this usual stuff? And he said, I need you to do me a favor. Will you do me a favor? And Matthews said, sure, I will if I can. And he said, well, I have this letter, and I need this letter to be delivered to the Washington Intelligencer um, 
unless I call for the letter tonight, anytime after 10 o'clock, if you don't hear from me, it's give, a, give this letter, send this letter so to he's, the Washington this is an insurance. intelligence. This is insurance so that we can, we can get his message. He's, he's yes. making insurance that his, his yes. message gets put out. He is sending this to the newspapers. Right. Uh, when the assassination happened, Matthews at first reacted the same way everyone else did to the news, and then he suddenly remembered that in his pocket he had this letter, and he was terrified because by then the, the dragnet was already right. being extended out, and Matthews was terrified, and he tried to decide what to do, what to do, what to do. He was afraid if he went to the authorities, they would never believe him. Right. And he had told no one. So he opened the letter, read it, and burned it. Uh, and then he spent uh, many, many, many years trying to recreate this letter in his mind. Yeah. Um, the, he finally did sit down and write what he could piece together. What he could piece together, but it sounded an awful lot like another published letter of Booth's. Yeah. And people think that maybe his mind was informed sure. by reading that in the paper somewhere. So he did that. He also went to the theater, of course, and did some actual um, on the scene. On the scene. Yeah, stuff. he checked doors. He made he, sure that. Yeah. He 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 stopped off in a storage room somewhere and <clears throat> found a broken music stand. Right. Pulled the leg off of this broken music stand. And that was what he was going to use to bar the door. Right. He went into the box. Uh, the the box is. Uh, have, have you ever been there? Have you been to the no, Ford's Theater? No, I've never left Paris. It's, it's all been. <laughs> not, it, it, it has all been completely reconstructed. There's al- almost nothing is authentic right, in Ford's Theater, but it's yeah. it's been because com- it was gutted after the assassination. Uh, but there's a little hallway, a little short hallway, um, and that in in that hallway, it's completely dark. In that hallway are two doors that go into the box, which was actually the box was actually two boxes, box seven and box eight. They had a divider. And when you had an important party, they would remove the divider, which is what they did that night. So it was one bo- one box with two doors. Um, and he he cut a, a niche, it's always described, in the plaster and arranged to be able to wedge this music stand leg against the outer door. And he could do this with no one knowing he was there because he hadn't yet gone through any of the inner doors. Right. Um, so he stands this music stand leg up in the corner hoping that no one came along and picked it up. There was no reason anyone would. It was just sort of hidden there. He maybe, maybe put the hole in the door. There's some question about that. There is a hole in the door that if the door were still in its place, you could look through it and see the back of Lincoln's head. Definitely a hole there. The assumption was always that um, Booth drilled the hole in the thin part of the door. Uh, he had among his effects in his room, in his hotel room when they searched it, was a a, a, a gimlet, I guess that's right. how it's pronounced, like mm-hmm. a little hand drill uh, th- that he could have used for that purpose. Uh, years later, John Ford's son said the hole was already there. My dad drilled it so that he could peek in and make sure the president was okay without bothering him. So maybe Booth expanded it. Right. Or whatever. We do know that in Booth's pockets after he was killed were wood shavings. Hmm. That was among his effects that were reported. So maybe uh, he he did all of that. He uh, considered the jump, which was 12 feet. 
Jeez. It, yeah, it's twelve feet to a you know to a to a hard floor wearing riding boots with uh, with spurs that yeah, happen to get caught with, up in with, the flag with spurs when he... <laughs> and um, yeah and he he did all of this and then he he met with what was left of his band but by then when 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 talk switched to murder Sam Arnold who was a pretty reasonable person uh, and O'Loughlin said we we want no right they, they we don't want any part of this there's some evidence that O'Loughlin considered ratting him out uh there was a a person was there it is known that a man matching O'Loughlin's description tried to get to General Grant and was sent away and then maybe tried to get to Stanton and then was and then finally wandered off. And, and some historians, we don't know, but some historians have speculated that maybe it really was O'Loughlin, and maybe right. he was trying to give him a warning because I think these people were all really scared. Well, of uh, course, by, by yeah. this time, yeah, because they had seen the kidnapping plot. They saw as a reasonable extension of the war. Right. This you know, was just tactics. That, yeah, they saw themselves as as. Uh, uh, Non-soldier a means soldiers. to an end, correct. Right. Yeah. And, of yeah. course, that um, you also had Ned Spangler, who was just a stagehand at Ford's Theater. Right. Who was the most innocent of all of these people. Yeah. Uh, Spang- Spangler was more innocent than anyone. He right. was more innocent than Dr. Mudd. He was more innocent than Mary Surratt, uh, which is the reason he actually got the lightest sentence. Right. He got six years when the others got life or were hanged. But uh, uh, Booth met with what was left of the conspirators. Spangler was never really a conspirator. He met with Payne and Arnold and Atzerodt. Atzerodt, he instructed to kill the vice president who was staying at a hotel in Washington. Booth, as you say, had gone into the hotel that day during his preparations. He went into the hotel. He asked if the vice president was in, and the clerk said, no, he's not he's not here. And he said, well, I'm going to leave him a card. And he he took out a little note card and he wrote, don't wish to disturb you. Are you at home? John Wilkes Booth. Yeah. yeah, J.W. Booth. Yeah. And they put it in the box of Johnson's personal secretary. And as we mentioned a few minutes ago, we're not sure if that was directed to Johnson or the secretary. If if he was trying to get to the secretary, he was trying to do it so that he could find out more about Johnson's movement. So it was part of the conspiracy. Of course. Either way. But the way, the way this gets interpreted after the assassination is that Booth was trying to implicate Johnson. Right. Or Mary Lincoln. Now, and there were calls on the Senate, right? During, um, during the impeachment. During, right. Dur- during Johnson's impeachment. Right. Uh, that he uh, was involved. Yeah three, yeah. three years later, yeah. this came up. Mary Lincoln. Uh, called Johnson and like a Missouri senator or somebody. (laughs) Yeah. Makes this. Yeah. Mary Lincoln called Johnson an inebriate, uh, a drunk. Right. And, um, and, and said, what was that card of Booth's doing in his mailbox and called him out on it. And she took it seriously. I don't think we, we can, I don't think we're in a position to, to really know what that was, uh, was, was actually about, but she also had seances. And she, she did. Mary, Mary Lincoln was an extraordinarily troubled, uh, troubled woman. So April 14th. So he, he meets with everyone. Everyone's getting kind of cold feet because 
this 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 plan, this original plan was to uh, you know kind of for the Confederate war effort, and now we have a plan to assassinate the president of the United States to in fact to decapitate the federal government. The entire yeah, the yeah, plan was to kill the cabinet. was to kill the president, the vice president, and the secretary of state. Now that the secretary of state was not. <clears throat> the next in line after the vice president and that was, under the laws at the time it would have was, it would have been the again the, that was the, Seward the, it was the, yeah that was Seward who was yeah. the secretary of state the president pro tempore of the senate would have been next in line for the president which got switched after yeah that's yeah. been changed over the right. years but Seward's Seward would have been in charge of invoking much of that as secretary of state and making it happen also Booth just really hated Seward. Right. Uh, he he very much wanted Seward dead. He blamed Seward for a lot of what had happened during the war. And Seward also bragged a lot about the defeat of the South. Right. So Booth had a personal vendetta against Seward. Right. And wanted him dead. And they assigned Payne, or Powell was his real name, assigned Powell to kill Seward. David Harold's job was to get Powell out of the city. Powell didn't know Washington. David Harold knew Washington like the back of his hand. And so that's the way the assignments were handed out. And they were all supposed to strike at the same time. Booth shows up at the theater um, around 10, comes to the back door of of the theater, uh, stage right, which would be to the left if you're in the audience, uh, knocks on the door. Spangler, who is a theater stagehand, who sort of is in Booth's periphery. He had once worked for the Booth family as a carpenter. Spangler met him at the door. Booth said, hold my horse. The horse was too spirited to tie. He had been warned this horse has to be held. It can't be tied. If you do, it'll break loose. Spangler said, I don't have time to hold your horse. I'm shifting scenes. Right. And so Spangler called this kid who worked around the theater called John Peanuts because he sold peanuts. He called him over and said, hold Mr. Booth's horse. By then, Booth had already gone in. Booth knew nothing about this. Uh, Booth asked Spangler, can I go across behind, behind the scenery? And Spangler said, no, you can't because this, this is a full-depth uh, set. Right. It goes all the way to the back wall. So Booth knew his way around the theater. He opened a trap door in the floor, went under the stage, crossed all the way under the stage, came out another trap door on the other side of the theater, <laughs> went out a door on, into the alley, walked around to the bar, went in and had a drink, uh, and then came back out to the front door of the theater, milled around outside. He was seen looking at his watch. Of course, he's a celebrity. Everyone knows who he was. And finally, he went in the theater and went up the circular stairs to the dress circle, which is the first balcony. And he was seen leaning against the wall. And, and there were more than 1,000 people there. Right. They didn't have fire codes in those days. Right. There were, the, the, it was packed. The, right. the, these are not fixed seats either. There were chairs. Right. So you could pack as many in as you wanted. He was seen leaning against the wall, and then the next time you saw him, he would be farther over, and then he would be farther over. And he got closer and closer to that little yellow door to the ante room of, of the boxes. At some point, he stepped up and had this exchange of words with uh, Forbes the guard and uh, disappeared into the box. He blocked the, the door with the music leg stand, maybe peeped through the peephole to see Lincoln's head, uh, everyone will usually say that he went through the door to box seven, which was directly behind Lincoln. But I think the scholarship on that is turning around that that was too cramped 
mm-hmm. uh, that he probably went through the, the other door to box eight and sort of circled around on Lincoln behind Rathbone. And uh, he, he walked in. He, there was no hesitation then. Once he was in the box, he walked right up to the president, shot him in the back of the head. Just uh, shot him boom. in the yeah Lincoln uh, at the very last instant Lincoln, walked in like he was delivering the newspaper. Yes, Lincoln looked sharply to the left for something. Maybe he heard Booth back there and looked the wrong way, or somebody said he was looking at something. And he gets him in the right pit, here, and he got him behind the left ear. Yeah, and uh, then you know everything really then breaks loose. Rathbone, who is a major in the army, jumps up and goes for Booth. But Booth has this long knife, which, by the way, had which, by the way, had the word liberty or something. Everything was symbolic. Of of course, it was. He's a a theatric. He's an artist. He's a thespian. He's an artist. Well, Kaufman Kaufman says, but Booth Booth committed political assassination uh, as as, it it was performative. It was of course it was a performative. Yeah. Assassination. It was going to, yeah. I always think of that. Uh, if you saw the original, uh, the the 1989 Batman film, the the, sure, the, the yeah, one yeah, with yeah. Keaton. Of course, yeah. You have the Joker. Yeah. He said, "I am the world's something like I am the world's first fully functional homicidal artist. I make art until someone dies." Right. That's. This was art. Yes. This was performative. Um, he stabbed Rathbone, cut his arm very, very badly. Rathbone could have bled to death. Um, and then climbed over the stage and or climbed over the railing and jumped to the floor. Gets his spurs caught in the flags. Yeah, and lands off center, and 99.9% of everyone in the world assumes that he broke his leg. Broke his ankle, right? That, that, he, that he, he broke his fibula, yeah. uh, the small bone in his left leg. Michael Kaufman, who is an eminent historian on this topic, thinks no, that he said that the only people who said that Booth limped and all of that, those were people who testified much later, that in the early testimony, there is no evidence that anything was wrong with Booth. Um, and he is, when, when they arrived at Surrattsville later that night, Booth said that he broke his leg when he jumped with his horse. In his diary, he said, I broke my leg uh, in jumping, broke, in jumping, broke my leg. But it's not clear whether he meant jumping off the stage or jumping off his horse or jumping uh, w- with his horse. Yeah. Uh, and uh, K- Kaufman has taken the somewhat unpopular view that uh, because it's uh, but because it clashes. Feet. Yeah, I, I do suspect that he probably broke his feet, broke it when he and jumped, then, and then he he messes up. He doesn't stick the landing. I know he's he didn't the stick ad- the landing. That's right, a, yeah, right. And then he jumps up. And we're not really quite exactly sure what he says, That's, other than "ouch." I'm sure he probably he said, first said "ouch." A lot of things have been attributed to him. What he said. I mean, just about everybody indicated that he did say six semper tyrannis," which is the, the Virginia the Virginia state motto. Which means what? It means thus, uh, thus always to tyrants. Thus, which means always to tyrants. This, this, this is, is what happens. Yeah, this to is tyrants. what happens to tyrants. Yes. Um, and what a motto. Booth, in his diary, <laughs> claimed that Booth was angered because the papers said that he yelled that after he fired. Right. Which is what everyone said. 
Yeah. Booth in his diary, and Booth lied a lot in his diary. But in Which his, is bizarre to yeah, me that he's yeah. lying in his but, diary. Well, yeah, he's, yeah. I think he knows, Again, he's, he knows he's done for, right. and the diary is his, uh, his message to the future. Right. Uh, he, in his diary, he said, I yelled six semper before I fired. And he was very careful to stress that. There's no real evidence for that. Rathbone did say that, that Booth yelled something in the box that maybe maybe it was the word freedom. Uh, someone claimed that he yelled, the South shall be free or the South is avenged. Now, you like the creepy stories. If you want to hear a creepy story, Rathbone, who years later, of course, the, the Rathbones met a horrible end. And Rathbone, years later, was in a mental institution, locked away in a mental institution in Germany. And I've only found one reference to this anywhere, ever. It's not in a book that I know of. It's in a, um, in a forum somewhere on the Internet. Perfect. And there's a guy who says that he can't remember where he saw it, but he saw it and quoted it. He said that somewhere he found an account of one of Rathbone's psychiatrists, mm-hmm. or whatever they were called then, right. alienists or whatever right, they were, right. who said that he hypnotized Rathbone and took Rathbone back to the assassination. Rathbone supposedly... I don't know if this is true or not, said under hypnosis that Booth said before he pulled the trigger, I bring blessings for your union. Huh. And I thought, there's, if that's true, first of all, it's creepy that it comes out through hypnosis. Yeah. Second, it's just creepy in itself. Yeah, but it also is a true fact. And it would also be a good reason for Lincoln to have turned his head so sharply. Um, yeah, which is interesting. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I've never nobody no no scholarly historian has ever gotten to the bottom of that, whether that's even true. So he 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 rides off to the Surratt. He, he well in the while this was going on, uh, uh, Arnold had escorted Powell to Seward's house. Powell went into Seward's house and completely botched that. He it was a bloodbath. Booth read about it in the papers and was horrified by it. Uh, he didn't intend for that to happen. In fact, Booth, Booth was horrified that anyone in Seward's house had been hurt besides Seward. He wanted Seward dead, but Seward was very gravely injured. Uh, he survived, but his face was cut completely open, so much so that his jaw was hanging open and you could see his teeth, uh, his side teeth back to the back Jeez. his face was cut completely open <laughs> seward was in bed in a in a kind of a harness he had been in a carriage accident right right he had broke uh his he broke a collarbone yeah. in his jaw yeah his so jaw, he was immobilized yeah. in this yeah. weird leather and steel harness and right. that helped save his life but he bashed uh the assistant secretary of state uh, frederick seward uh, seward's son adult son bashed him in the head with the butt of the gun so badly that you could see his brain he also survived. Jeez. He stabbed. Jeez. He stabbed the. Uh, he he stabbed the the nurse who was actually a, an injured soldier who had been assigned to help look after the secretary. He stabbed him repeatedly in the shoulder, just hacking away at him, but didn't never hit anything vital enough to kill him. He then, uh, on the way out. He attacked, again, with the butt of a gun, uh, another of Seward's sons, Augustus. And then, uh, as he was leaving, going out the door, a State Department messenger shows up at just the wrong moment and gets stabbed in the back. So, 
he leaves behind this bloodbath. Uh, someone said it looked like a it looked like a slaughterhouse. Uh, five people, um, anywhere from gravely injured <coughs> to somewhat gravely injured. Many of them not expected to live, and um, none of them died. Um, every one of them survived. And Harold, hearing the screaming, ran away. He decided that Powell this can, is, this is Powell can get himself out of Washington. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm dipping. This is, this is too much for me. So, so, so he botches that. Of course, uh, Johnson's <clears throat> supposed assassin gets really drunk and kind of he got drunk and decided not to do anything. Decided not to do anything. Yeah, yeah. And then he 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 was he was really dumb and he he went around over the next couple of days. Uh, talking big about the assassination and dropping little hints until finally somebody went to the War Department and said, this guy seems to know an awful lot about the assassination, and he's a, a seedy little guy. You know, maybe you should check him out. And it yeah. turns out that he was uh, in on the plot. Um, Arnold ran off and met Booth on Soper's Hill outside of Washington, and then they were together all the way until the end. Powell hid out in a cemetery for a couple of nights, didn't Which know, is where you go to yeah, hide. Didn't, obviously, yeah, didn't didn't know didn't know how to get out of Washington. Yeah. Didn't know what to do. And this is one of the worst moments of bad luck in all of American history. <clears throat> the military police showed up at Mary Surratt's house at about ten or eleven o'clock at night. On, I think it was on the sixteenth. Um, we're at her house. So this in is the Easter. kitchen. This is Easter Sunday. Yeah, maybe yeah. so, or maybe on Monday. They were in her kitchen interviewing her and all of her boarders. And, in fact, were in the process of putting some of them under arrest. For, for being privy to this. Yes. Yeah. When someone knocks on the door in the middle, by then, by then it was nearly 11. Right. The military guy opened the door, and it was Powell. <laughs> and he had gone to Mary Surratt's boarding house because he didn't know where else to go. That was the only place in Washington he knew. Yeah. He was dirty. He was ragged. He had a pickaxe on his shoulder, had a like a bandana wrapped around his head or a piece of a T-shirt or something. Right. And instead of Mrs. Surratt or some one of the boarders that he knows opening the door, the military police are there. Yeah. And he just... And then, they, who are you? And he said, oh, I must have the wrong place. And he tried to leave. And they said, oh, no, you've got the right place. Yeah, yeah you're here. Who are yeah. you? And then he cooked up this story that um, he said, well, I'm supposed to dig a ditch. For Mrs. Surratt, like a drainage ditch, like a gutter. And they said at 11 o'clock at night, and he said, well, I'm going to dig it tomorrow. I just wanted to stop by to see see where she wanted me to dig it. They called her in. She said, I've never seen this man in my life. <laughs> um, and so they arrested him, too. Yeah. And that a moment of really, really bad luck. <laughs> but, of course, uh, in, in over the over the coming days, they arrested Arnold. They arrested a Lachlan. They found in Booth's trunk, they found what was called the Sam letter. Right. Which was a, a letter that uh, Sam Arnold uh, had written that sort of implicated Kind of uh, detailed. Everyone. Yeah. yeah. They found that, and they zeroed in. They arrested O'Loughlin. They arrested poor Ned Spangler, who had done nothing really but tell Booth, I'm not going to hold your horse. I mean, Spangler was kind of seedy, and he did admire Booth. Right. But he wasn't an assassin. Right. Spangler wasn't even in on the, uh, wasn't, uh, I, I don't think, even in on the kidnapping plot. Right. Um, but, but he, he got caught up in it. And of course they had, they had Powell. They eventually arrested Atzerott. 
they arrested Mrs. Surratt. They eventually arrested Mudd. Uh, and then uh, on the 26th, after this gigantic manhunt, they finally cornered Booth and Harold at, um, you know, on this farm in Maryland, which today I've been to the location of that. It's in a median strip on the highway. I think it's Highway 301, I think, Virginia State Highway 301, in a wooded median strip, the location. There's an iron pipe stuck in the ground, and that's where Booth died. He, he and uh, uh, Arnold were in the tobacco barn because uh, the, the, the family that they were staying with had grown uh, suspicious of them and told them they had to leave tomorrow. They could stay one more night, but they had to stay in the tobacco barn. Mm. So they, they, they put them in the tobacco barn, and the military caught up with them and uh, cornered them, and Booth didn't want to come out, and so they set the barn on fire. Arnold said, I want to go out. He said, I've had enough of this. Or not not, not Arnold, or uh, uh, Harold. Right, right. Uh, Harold. Um, One of the interesting things about Harold, who was so naive and sort of childish, uh, was he never seemed to grasp uh, how much trouble he was in. He, that, he, he, that he didn't understand he, that they he, did. He, he he had been on the run with the assassin of the president of the United States from the 14th to the 26th and never seemed to grasp how much trouble he was in. So that is a stretch. He he was saying things like uh like I just I just want to go home. I want to put this behind me. Things like that and you know yeah. that's, that that's not going to happen. That's not possible. Uh, that's, yeah, that's not going to happen. We're past the point of no return. Yeah, he, yeah he, there's he, no going home. He, he he did surrender. And um of course there was a there was a military tribunal. Uh, there's some question about the propriety of that and the Supreme Court years later ruled that um if if you if you took the Supreme Court's decision uh retroactively, it would have invalidated that. That would not have been allowed because the Supreme Court later ruled that you cannot impose military trials on civilians if the civilian courts are functioning. Right. Which right. the civilian courts were functioning. Right. But um of course and those military tribunals are Yeah, short mili- and mi- sweet. military yeah. <laughs> but uh there were eight eight people were put on trial. John Surratt, as I say, skated. Yeah. He never showed up. Um, until he was eventually arrested. So, of the eight, how many were hung? Uh, there were there were, all eight of them were found guilty. Mary Surratt was sentenced to hang. Atzerat, of course, was sentenced to hang. He was at the heart of the conspiracy. Um, he was supposed the one who was supposed to kill the vice president. Right. Powell, who obviously, the yeah, Powell, who had nearly murdered the Secretary of State and, and had and severely <laughs> injured four other people. Yeah. Um, and Harold who had accompanied Booth and helped make all of this possible and made the escape who possible. Who was completely unaware of the tragedy. He was just that, naive. Yeah. Uh, all four of them were sentenced to hang. Uh, Sam Arnold and Michael O'Loughlin were sentenced to life imprisonment at hard labor. Uh, Dr. Mudd was as well. Ned Spangler was sentenced to six years. And One historian said everyone who was put on trial – was going to get something. There, yeah, there was yeah, not going just, to be yeah. that the 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 six year punishment for Spangler they thought was a way to say we have to do something to everyone. Yeah, here's your six years. Yeah, and apparently Spangler was pretty happy to get it. I bet uh, under the under those circumstances. Yeah, 
even though he was completely completely innocent right. by all yeah he would he may have been barely on the periphery of the latter kidnapping plot maybe the, the one that but we involved, don't really have a whole I, lot i think of, booth had yeah. some idea that maybe spangler was going to cut the lights in okay. the theater and that kind okay. of thing but yeah yeah spangler didn't really deserve any punishment yeah and he he wrote his own little manifesto later and left it in his toolbox it was found after he died you know and he said I knew Booth. Here's how I knew him. I wasn't involved in any of this. I never should have been involved in, I never should have been caught up in this. Um, so Dr. Mudd and O'Loughlin and Arnold and Spangler were packed off to the Dry Tortugas, um, the, the Fort Jefferson, which is out at the end of the Florida Keys, out in the middle of nowhere, a little right. island. And they were packed off out there for hard labor. And... Uh, the other four were sentenced to hang, and they were hanged uh, the day after the sentence was imposed. Yeah, there was and, no... Uh... And you, yeah, and you, you, you have this dreadful um, this, this dreadful situation in which Anna Surratt, Mrs. Surratt's daughter, who was a teenager, went to the White House and apparently was you know, at the steps of the White House pounding on the door begging to see President Johnson. There was a lawyer who went to a judge, and a judge issued a writ of habeas corpus to produce Mrs. Surratt. He wanted her in his courtroom at the time of the hanging. Uh, he was going to try to intervene judicially. When Johnson found this out, Johnson sent word that he had suspended the writ of habeas corpus in this case. And, of course, the Supreme Court subsequently ruled that the president, acting on his own, does not have the authority to, spend, to suspend the writ of habeas corpus. Only Congress can do that. But that was not the ruling at this time. Lincoln had suspended it. Johnson said, I'm suspending the writ in this case everywhere right. in Washington. You can't have her. People thought that at the last minute she would be, that she would be, be uh, commuted and would yeah. be spared. And it it wasn't to be. I mean, they apparently when they brought her out, someone there said, "Good God, the woman too," and you know people couldn't believe it. They thought that and there was a legend that uh, that the fourth noose was not even completely made. It didn't have the right number of loops I've on heard it or this. something. Yeah, I've heard this because, because the guy said, a, yeah. "Well, they're not really going to hang her, and yeah. it's hard. These are hard to make." And mm -hmm. um, but they did, and <clears throat> she had clemency applications. Uh, on the president's desk, the president saw them. There was a lot of testimony by people later. The president saw these documents. He responded to them verbally. He chose not to act on them. Johnson, in later years, Johnson lived another 10 years, roughly. Johnson, in later years, said, I never saw them. He tried to wash his hands of... Of, uh, of her death. Of, uh, of the supposedly the right. judicial murder of Mrs. Surratt. Right. But Mrs. Surratt was Mrs. Surratt was in on the conspiracy. Yeah. I think she knew what was going to happen. Whether she was actively involved, whether her delivering a pair of binoculars, which is what she did, and delivering this message, whether that puts her at the heart of the conspiracy enough for her to have hanged, there, there, she was very, very nervous that night, the night of the assassination, as as the boarders were shuffling by going to bed. And um, one of the boarders said that she had her rosary beads 
She was a devout Catholic. She had her rosary beads and was standing in front of the fireplace um, handling her rosary beads and said, and said, please, please pray for my intentions or mm. something to that effect. Right. She knew that something was going on. I suspect, I suspect that Mrs. Surratt, you see pictures of her and she looks dowdy and she looks like a middle-aged woman. She was in her early forties. Yeah. She was like 42. I yeah. mean, I'm much older than her. Yeah. She was a widow. Um, she was often down on her luck. And suddenly she has Tom Cruise <laughs> hanging out right, at her right. boarding house. Right, this is cool. Paying attention this to her daughter. Cool. This is cool. Yeah, this could maybe, this could lead to something. Maybe some by sort of financial extension gain or something. Or Who think, knows? Or Who maybe knows? she actually had a crush on him herself. Yeah, of course. dude, he was beautiful. Every everyone else did. His fortune teller. Are you familiar with this story? He Booth's had, fortune teller. Yeah, he, no, he had, a, he had a fortune when he was his fortune told. And his fortune teller was like, you know, you're a good looking guy. <laughs> you know, and this was a dude telling him this. And he was like, if I was a woman, I'd follow you to the ends of the earth. Okay. Well, yeah. Yeah, this yeah. is a 40, you know, I, I don't, I can't back this up historically, but this is a 42 year old widow. Right. Who has a 26 year old movie star, the, 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 the 19th century equivalent of a movie star. Right. Hanging out at her place doing all of these really cool things. He's involved in smuggling. He's back and forth to Montreal. Right, right. Uh, there's money involved. This, he's, yeah, yeah lavish, he's got this James Bond type yeah, right. lifestyle. Exotic. I, I get it. Yeah. I, I get it. And and I think she got caught up in that. And also I think that the war, this is what happened, as we said, to Arnold and O'Loughlin. The war created a screen where it was difficult to know what was appropriate to do. You know, right. there's a war on. We're trying to win the war. Right. There are lots of people in Maryland, maybe most of the people in Maryland. Shoot, half the people in the District of Columbia were Southern partisans. Right. Uh, they're everywhere. And, and that mentality of we're trying to win a war, that, that mentality of we're trying to win a war and at, we're, at, at whatever cost. And we're on enemy territory trying and, to win and, it. And we're on enemy <laughs> territory trying to win it. Right. Yeah, and so I think that that made kidnapping the president not seem like a very big deal. And if you're Mrs. Surratt and you're kind of on the outer edges of this already, and the kidnapping of the president turns into the murder of the president, uh, it, it may be that she simply couldn't separate those two things in her mind. Or maybe she didn't think that it would really uh, happen. Go through. But she, so uh, take me to 160 years hmm. later. We're, uh, what, 158, whatever. I'm bad at math. Whatever we're at, we're 158 years later. We're in 2023. Good Friday's tomorrow. Lincoln's assassinated, essentially. You know, we're, we're using what Gregorian Julian calendar, whatever calendar you want to use, right? So essentially, right, we're at the anniversary. Why is this important today? Well, it. If if you go with the idea that um, let's think about Reconstruction for a moment. Reconstruction was essentially a series of failed promises. the The Reconstruction included the the Thirteenth Amendment, which abolished slavery. Which, by the way, was not abolished until December. I mean, slavery outlived Abraham Lincoln by right. eight, by eight months. Right. Yeah, eight months. Um, when the 13th Amendment abolished slavery, the 14th Amendment, which came about when it became clear that the South 
was not repentant. Uh, after the uh, uh, 1866 uh, midterm elections, uh, when the Southern members of Congress showed up to take their seats in the Congress of the United States, many of them were wearing dress grays and medals and were turned away by the Congress who refused to seat them. It became clear that the South had not learned its lessons. You're not so, part of our country. We're, yeah, in that, a, we're in the United States. You're wearing yeah, yeah you're, you're wearing we, enemy. You, you are defeated. Enemy uniform. Put this right behind now. you. Yeah, yeah. It became clear that they were not repentant, and so the Fourteenth Amendment was passed to make uh, African Americans citizens of the United States. That amendment was necessary to overcome the Dred Scott ruling of 1857, right. that said African Americans are not citizens and can never be citizens. Right. Um, and then it imposed all of these punishments on the South um, that, that uh, Southerners can't hold. If, if you swore an oath to uphold the Constitution and then swore an oath to uphold the Confederacy, you can no longer hold any office, uh, th- these kinds of things. And then the 15th Amendment, which was supposed to help blacks vote. And none of those, they were enforced in the beginning, but there was no way, there was not enough momentum to keep those things going. So... Reconstruction ends up being a lot of broken promises about race. Which reverberates because of Lincoln's death. Yes, because... Lincoln had a different idea of what Reconstruction looked like. We we don't completely know. What what we do know is we, we know that Lincoln was absolutely determined once he decided to make the war about slavery. And I know that people always want to attack that idea and say the war, Lincoln didn't care about slavery and all of this stuff. Lincoln, after the middle of 1862, decided that the war was about slavery. In the second inaugural address, which is probably the greatest speech ever given in English in the history of the world, Lincoln's second inaugural address, he stated clearly that the war was about slavery. And he, in fact, believed that the war was punishment on the entire country. He saw it as divine retribution on the entire country. Divine retribution. For, for, I, for slavery. I got to stop you there because it's interesting what I've, uh, his, his philosophical and religious beliefs are that of a very mysterious. Yes. He, yes. He incorporates biblical terminology. He incorporates all of these philosophies but, but he was not very religious. Right, at which, all. Yes. At all. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He was more into mysticism. He, yes. Yeah, I mean, there were seances in the White House. Again, like that yes. is, yeah, yeah. Um, but he could quote the Bible better than me and you. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I'm not, I'm not indicting you. I'm just saying that well, he, no, he, no. he knew. He no, knew Mary, Mary said that his, they, people were always asking about his religious beliefs. And Mary said something, words to the effect that his, his religion was like a little song in his soul. Or something like that, right? Right. Uh, whatever. Kind of soften yeah, the blow whatever, of. Whatever. Are you a Methodist? Yeah. Or are you what, this yeah. He had no. Yeah. He had no time for any of that. None. None. Yeah. Um, and it's so we're engaging in what we in the biz call counterfactual narrative, trying to tell the story of something that didn't happen. Right. Which is very very difficult to do. Right. Uh, but what we do know is that Lincoln was dedicated to creating some kind of a better outcome for African Americans. So that the war would have meaning, he believed right. that that's what was necessary. The blood that to was make shed, the war have meaning. Right. That from the from the Emancipation Proclamation on, and especially from Gettysburg on, which that's the message of the Gettysburg Address. 
That I'm not was, familiar. The Gettys? <laughs> yeah. What did you call it? I'm not that, was, that was his position. Then you, you, you add to that um, the, the, the fact that we know that Lincoln was a superb politician. Right. Um, and wrestler. The, the, yeah. <laughs> uh, he, he was, he was as, as a politician, he was as good as they come. All through the war, he was able to get the things that he needed and make the things that he needed to happen happen because he was superb at that. Right. Johnson, even if Johnson's heart had been in the right place, Johnson could not possibly do those things. And so because of his disastrous failures in Reconstruction and then because of Grant's radical Reconstruction where he's placing African-Americans and federally, federally appointing African-Americans into positions, right? Again, that these numbers won't, I believe, until the 90s. They won't, they won't come back up into the 90s. So then after Grant, right, so this reverberation, this thing, this, this one bullet essentially – and I know I'm not trying to pin it all on a piece of lead, but really, I get it. it. Yeah. I, I get it. There's, there's. I mean, Lincoln had almost four full years still ahead of him, right? Um, and they're talking, by the way, which I love the carriage ride that day. They're talking about what's going to happen after the war. What's going to happen right. after politics? What yeah. are they? They're going to go back to Springfield. They're going to go to Europe. They're going to do all these yeah, things. Yeah, that's exactly and right. Him and Mary Todd get together, and they're just like, oh, what yeah, a because, relief! Yeah, right, because they had been very estranged. Right, uh, they had become they lost in, children, in, in, increasingly and, estranged, right. especially after Willie's death in 1862. Um, so they were definitely looking towards the he, future. He could theoretically, even of course, have in those days have served a third term. Fourth, fifth, who knows? You know, uh, <laughs> it's it's there. There is no way to know what he would have done or could have done. But the, right. the the problem with Reconstruction is maybe Lincoln could have put it on a solid enough footing and got it moving in a direction so that it could have kept actual results. So that it could have kept moving. Right. What happened instead is it didn't have enough momentum. Right. And so when the economy crashed in 1872, in the Depression of 1872. Right. which was a big one. Uh, which it was a big one. Yeah. Um, it, all of these depressions at some time or the other was called the Great Depression until the 30s when they found out what a Great Depression really looked right. like. Oh, don't, don't um, well, I think we're going to, we might, don't, don't hold your breath. I think we might be getting towards another one. So, uh, okay. So, yeah, okay. Fingers uh, crossed. Uh, we uh, might have the, the greatest depression is what we'll call it. strip the other one of its capital letters. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, It'll be a lowercase g yeah. and then this one will be the uppercase g. I like that. I like that. After that, after that 1872, uh, 73 crash uh but by that time the north was sick of taking reconstruction care of, yeah. i mean I, I tell my students this this thing had been cooking you, you, you know here you are it's 18 fast forward on to 1877 1877 this thing's been cooking since like 1858 uh so right. that people have lived with this yeah the the, the run up to the war the war, right? The assassination, the, the aftermath, the aftermath right. of the war. We're done, and everyone let's was go. just yeah. sick of it. Yeah, let's go. Let's let's go. We're uh, getting into a new century. Eventually, we're getting close. We got the transcontinental railroad. We have all these. That's the, right. This 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 new ideal of of the American frontier. We have this. We're changing the zeitgeist of the American people. That's behind us. And so, what happens here is that white Southerners 
white southern rebels dominate and white northern yankees closed ranks yep at the expense of literally everybody of else. the african americans but also literally everybody who, else. at the Af- yeah. the african americans who were left in the south and right. so we see especially beginning in about 1890 um in in, in the 1890s you get in 96, you get the infamous Plessy versus Ferguson right. case where the Supreme Court had a superb opportunity to put its foot down on Jim Crow and didn't. Right. Despite uh, Justice John Marshall Harlan's um, famous eloquent uh, dissent in Plessy. And uh, the, so, so the Supreme Court puts a stamp of legitimacy on the Jim Crow regime. And so it's another 65 years. Uh, before you you get real movement uh, against that again, and uh, and, and that was you, when uh, I guess the Civil Rights Act of of nineteen sixty four. Oh, when right. uh, which kind of overturns. I'm thinking a different time. Plessy. When I was still in the eighteen seventies, so I'm thinking sixty five years after eighteen seventy. But yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, so I, after after eighteen ninety six. Right, 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 um, right, right, right. That was okay. Yeah, and that's interesting too because the the leader of that. Civil rights movement. What happened to him again? Oh, it was the same end. He met the exact yes. same end. Yes. As Abraham Lincoln. Yeah. Yeah. Had the same verbiage, the same uh, biblical narratives that he pulled from. Had the same message, essentially. So this is a this is an event that uh, um, I used uh, when. Uh, when Sonny Melton was uh, uh, killed in the, sure. La- in the Las Vegas shooting, uh, he's a relative of ours, uh, and I, I wrote a thing on my blog about that, and I, I referred to the um, uh, Elton John line from one of Elton John's songs where he says, it's funny how one insect can damage so much grain. Right. And uh, when you think about an event like this on which worlds turn right. on, on an event like the assassination of Abraham Lincoln, and there's, there's no way to untangle... The, the meaning of that the and, butterfly and, and, effect yeah, the, the, of that the, single the, the, bullet the butterfly effect of that of that one bullet it would have been how much better would it have been if the if the uh, kidnapping had succeeded uh, Lincoln would have been there's no way the Confederate government was going to harm Lincoln yeah right uh, he was going to sit around and sh- shoot the bull and eat peanuts and, and, with and win him Davis. over because he was awesome um, yeah. Uh, they, they 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 weren't going to harm Lincoln if he had been kidnapped. Uh, how how different would history be? Because I think the North probably still would have won the war. Would um, would you? I, I I I you know I love I love this. I love that we can speculate as to the outcome of our, the society that we live in. We can kind of kind of dance around to see the the what ifs. And like you said, it is it is speculative um, history, but. I just, first of all, I want to thank you for coming on because I've I've loved it. I've really, 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 really enjoyed talking to you about Lincoln. I love that this moment, I didn't know much about it. You know, of course I knew the, the glossed over storybook and then my father, of course, and I, we, we talk history (laughs) all the time. And so I actually had just watched a, a a Lincoln documentary with him a few months ago. It was one with reenactors and it was like a four part series and, and it was, it was really good. Um, but I didn't realize until you asked 
me to come on my show, which I love, by the way, because it, it made it easier for me to find a guest tonight. Well, uh, I, I noted that you jumped on it and said, yeah, sure, yeah, yeah let's yeah, do yeah, it. Yeah, when yeah, do you want to come on? Yeah, let's do it. But, but to – I didn't realize just why until I started researching the Lincoln assassination, why you wanted to talk about it and why it was so important. And I hope the people that are listening got to watch this. I know some of your students are going to be watching this. I hope so. You should make it mandatory. You should fail them <laughs> if they don't watch – if they don't subscribe to the Logical Podcast – if you guys don't subscribe, he's going to fail you. He's subscribe <laughs> subscribe yeah. to the Logical Podcast. That's right. That's right. Uh, but it has. It's changed It's changed American history. And any time you want to come on and make me do a bunch of research about a singular <laughs> event, I have enjoyed it. And I've enjoyed talking to you because you're an expert. And I have just you. the only thing I have done is just help you talk about your passion. And I had to learn a little bit about it. And, man... This has been just absolutely eye-opening and very fascinating and thrilling. This is the way I conduct my classes when I can get away with it. Of course, I, 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 w- I would fall behind if I conducted my classes this way too much. But right. my, my students, and certainly my former students, of which there are hundreds, right. uh, they can attest that uh, this is what I do daily. Well, keep it up. This is me. Keep it up. Thank you, Kevin Brewer, for coming on here. It's been a it's pleasure. Been great. Yeah, it's been good to see you as well. Uh, tune in to the Logical Podcast. We're going to do another episode soon of John Takes on the Internet. I don't know when we're going to schedule that. Of course, next Thursday we'll have our usual live 7 p.m. Tune in to the Mike Weatherford Show Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Thanks for watching, guys. This was a good one. Like and share it. Appreciate it. Thank you.